0: everybody welcome and i'm here today with tyson leslie i'm gonna put Hello. this um, recorder right here
1: i'm in drinking us. coffee and i just <laughs> finished eating mac and cheese out of the pan
0: because
1: <laughs> i'm really adult like <laughs> while well, my baby's in the background you probably hear the toys going <laughs>
0: yep, she's playing with her little um what do you call that?
1: I have no idea. It's cool. It's, a it's like a
0: little gym a for babies. A baby
1: contraption, yes.
0: <laughs> With a little panda and other little toys hanging down. <laughs> She's very chill. So thanks, Tyson. Thanks for having me out. And um, thanks
1: for driving a BFE to come <laughs> talk to me.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you for a long time. And um, I mean, this may have to be some somewhat of an abbreviated session because we're right here before Christmas. Right. It's um, December, what is it? Eighteenth?
1: Sure. Yeah, nineteenth. Nineteenth.
0: Yeah. See, I'm yeah. lost, and it's a Thursday. Um, and we were just chatting a little bit about doing piano gigs and stuff like that, and
1: right, Broadway yes.
0: and Vixen, and <laughs> what else are you up to? There's no telling.
1: <laughs> I don't even know. It's actually, you know, no. Being that we're doing this now, it's the uh, quiet time, so. I uh, leave to go do holiday stuff travels with the families and see everybody leave on the 21st play a gig on uh, new year's eve in cleveland and then life kind of starts back over in nashville on the first but <clears throat> i don't really have anything pending in in january january's pretty uh quiet which is fine um and then, come February, everything, the machine starts up really heavy, and, um, first week of February, I'm, <clears throat> I'm playing as a house keyboard player on, with, um, a group of people called the Stowaways on the shipwrocked Cruise, <clears throat> and what that means is they have, they assemble this collection of rock star people, for lack of a better term, and, um, and the... It's kind of like a big jam, like some of the jams you see in, in here in Nashville. Like, it's not unlike like the loud jams or rare hair or some of these things, <clears throat> except it just accentuates these individuals. So, like last year, it was like Frank Bello from Anthrax and uh, Joey from, uh, or uh, Frank and Joey from Anthrax, both of them. From, um, and like the singer from Seven Dust and the guitar player from Corn and all these different guys uh, and women, uh, Mixie from Stitch Up Heart was there, and, and it was it was cool. And they just there's different songs. So like there's like "Tom Sawyer" by Rush was played last year, and uh, I played "One and Dead or Alive" with the, that group. And honestly, it's that that boat is full of a lot of newer bands. Um, So, it's kind of that Papa Roach era, but, and later, kind of, um, they call it active rock or whatever. Right. And, uh, so sometimes I don't even know, like this year, I don't even know who half the bands are, because I'm old and I just don't really, they they all came out after I stopped giving a shit, so, it's like, well, um, I'll either hang out in my cabin and do my taxes or I'll go watch, you know, (laughs) I'll just figure it out, I don't know. (laughs) Last year, I actually did do some of my taxes on one of those cruises because I was like, shit. But um, so, yeah, we're going to do that. And then, right as soon as that's over, um, I go from wherever that boat docks, I believe it's New Orleans, and then fly to Fort Lauderdale to get on the Monsters of Rock cruise with Vixen. And then the Monsters cruise is all the 80s, like, hairband that, like, the, the bands that, you know, people would see on Headbangers Ball back in the day, but they're not, like, <clears throat> Motley Crue level. Like, they're all bands that people like my age, I'm 45, that we all grew up listening to to a certain degree. And, um, you know, so it's bands like Vixen and bands like, uh, I mean, the lineup this year is kind of insane because it's the 10th, um, the 10th Boat. The 10th wow. timeout. And so it's like Autograph. And uh, now I don't know if Bang Tango is going to still go on it because they just reformed with their original lineup. So I don't know if that's happening or not. But enough's enough. But then there's also bands like Extreme um, and Tesla who are pretty big, you know, and had definitely still have some staying power. <clears throat> Striper's going to be on this year. And um, it's just winger all these bands that I that's kind of my wheelhouse um if for listeners who don't know I do a show called Rare Hair and that our show we do three times a year in Nashville and it really celebrates and accentuates that genre of music Mm -hmm. um
0: yeah, I got. I was uh, included on the played. last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. Uh, it was amazing, actually. I, I enjoyed it
1: a lot. Was that the second time or for you've done it before? Right? Or no, that was
0: my first time. Was it ever, really? Oh wait, no, I did do one actually. I played an Aerosmith tune. Yeah. Um, when it was down at um, it was downtown.
1: Yeah. Okay. It was that little.
0: I can't remember the name of that club. Oh, Twelfth
1: and Porter. Maybe so. I think it was. Yeah, I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, you did Ragdoll.
0: Mm-hmm. With- that's right. Um, long with Greg
1: Magnus and all those guys.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then recently the Bengals team with all all the all-women band. Yeah. Which was pretty great.
1: That was great. Was that was one of my favorite songs of the night. Because, first of all, it's one of my favorite songs. Like, the way they recorded that, I thought was really awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: just think it's a really clever version that, for those who don't know. They did a Hazy Shade of Winter which is off the Less Than Zero soundtrack and it was recorded by the Bengals. And the way that they did that was just extraordinary. Was just the vocal harmonies are super cool. Yeah. The arrangement, the production, everything about it. So I was like, man, I've always wanted to play that in a band live. But instead I just lived vicariously through all you. So I was like, well, if I'm going to put this song... The, the deal was, this was a unique rare hair because usually our rare hair shows don't happen in December. <laughs> but... This time they did. So, um... Like, oh, let's do some Christmas-themed stuff. And, and I put Hazy Shade and mm-hmm. Winter mm-hmm. in there, not even realizing it was, you know, December and wintery and has sleigh bells and all that crap in it.
2: Right. And I was
1: like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> that's gonna fit, you know? So, and yeah. it did. It was really cool. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna do this song, I'm gonna have an all-female band. Just like, you know, every time... Like when we did the Vixen song, we did all the female uh, people in the band for that. And so I kind of like go through and try to represent like that in in the best way possible. Plus, I just, I have a thing about female musicians. I just love watching them. Uh, And I think a lot of people just don't, they kind of get passed over. Yeah, and in some ways because they're not aware that some of these people out there like some of the people on that song in particular I didn't know who they were until I passed by them on Broadway or whatever I was like who the hell is that playing drums like she's awesome Megan was a great drummer and she was is like, a great
0: drummer you know, yeah. I
1: was like I want to know who that is so yeah, I stopped in there and I still didn't know who she was so I actually posted something on facebook like who's who's the who's the drummer with the big hair that plays down a you know whatever that Rivera. Rivera. all yeah,
0: the time i think that's where it is yeah yeah and
1: i was like and somebody mentioned that, who it was i was like okay awesome i want to contact her because so i want to play on the show mm-hmm. you yeah. know and then beth carter i've always wanted to work with
0: yeah great guitar player who comes this little squirt
1: <laughs> yeah she's tiny <laughs> how yeah.
0: old is miss luna
1: Oh, and it's, uh, well, shoot, let's see, where are we at? December? Um, gosh, are you five? Where are we? Oh, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, Five months now. I kept saying four months for everybody, but five months now.
0: Yay.
2: My birthday
1: (laughs) is August 15th, so. Wow. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cute. So rare hair is that um is that a new thing that you started in nashville
1: yeah well originally so uh, rare hair was originally going to be a band and it was just going to be a band of guys that were fans of that old <laughs> music playing the deep cut stuff That so the whole thing about it was like i i wanted to put a band together that played that kind of music but we weren't playing like Living on a Prayer and Sweet Child of Mine and all the crap that everybody else plays to death. Gotcha. Um, I wanted to play deep cut stuff mm-hmm. for people like me. So the idea was going to be like, yeah, we're going to go play to six people, to all six people that care about this kind of music because, you know, at the grand, I don't know, it's, we go deeper than normal. So, and you know, we we touch on bands like, Weird bands like Cats and Boots and shit that people are like, you know, that haven't even heard of and probably shouldn't either, you know, because it's it's, it's it, it it had its moment and and it's but then we you know there's a lot of uh, really great music though from that time and that and and um and actually I do like Cats and Boots I was just kidding but that and we did that one of their songs at the second Ray Hair show and that. So it was really just the idea of being able to play that stuff. Well, I moved here, and I started playing in Tom Hurst's Loud Jams right after I moved here. Now, and Loud Jams is basically, it's this collective of musicians. I'm sure you've spoken about it
0: mm-hmm. on just previous Just about everybody. Podcasts, so. Probably everybody's talked a little bit about it. Yeah, and,
1: and it's it, and I feel like it's been such an instrumental... Uh, resource for so many different people to connect, yes. including me. I mean, in in my case, because I'm such a kind of networky kind of guy, in, in a and it, and really, it's by nature. It's not really by like, okay, I got to get out there and collect all these names and phone numbers or whatever. Right. It's more just like, holy crap, who's that drummer? I want to meet that guy, or who's that keyboard player? She's amazing. I want to know who that is. You know, mm-hmm. and. So, loud jams allows that to happen at a much faster pace than maybe having to go down to Broadway or go anywhere for that matter and wait for them to be done and maybe talk to them for five seconds while they're loading out their gear and leaving. Like
2: yeah,
1: back, especially when in the early days when it was at Douglas Corner, um, and that's where I started. It was you know, we would rehearse the day before Chris Nix's house.
2: Right. The
1: guitar player, one of the guitar players and one of Tom's, Loud James put out on uh, this guy Tom Hurst and, um, on all these guys, <clears throat> this kind of small collective of guys from Gainesville, Florida, um, <clears throat> who've all managed to make their way up here and had, you know, sideman careers for as long as they've been here, really. Yeah. And, uh So Tom and Chris being kind of the uh, nucleus of that group of people. Right. And so we would go to Chris's house, and we'd spend all day just hanging out and rehearsing. And then when you did your song, you know, in my case, my first loud jams, um, well, let me back up a little bit. I was playing, this was, I just actually came across video footage of the Loud Jams before that that inspired me to come to and start playing. Um, I played a reunion show with my old band, Pomeroy, in Kansas City. It was like late July, the last week of July. I'd been gone from home for a week, and um, I remember getting on the way home, or Rich Redmond, who was responsible for me moving here, uh, he's the drummer for Jason Aldean's band, and he he was playing at our Chief, at the Chiefs Stadium in Kansas City that weekend. And I called him. I was like, "Man, I don't want to come out and see a stadium gig. I've never seen one from like a you know backstage point of view or whatever." And I'd never seen Aldean or anything either. But he was like, "You know, bro, there's no way. It's just it was too crazy. It was the parking and the all that." He basically said, "You know, like there wasn't gonna be a time to." hang really because it was so chaotic that day and um but i'll see you in nashville at douglas corner on monday night and i was like thinking to myself man i'm driving home on monday i don't want to go like out and i haven't seen my girlfriend all week and i probably should go home and like hang out but so i'm asking him i'm like is there another day that is this is this jam happen like every week or whatever or what is it? Because I didn't know what it was.
0: Right.
1: <clears throat> and, he, and he basically was like, hey man, if you want to do all the things you said you want to do, like when we'd had this talk about me moving here and what I want to do with my career, he's like, I'll see you on Monday. And basically he's like calling me out. So like, "If you don't, you know, if you want to do the things, I'm giving you an opportunity. Like show up. Gotcha. And, and you know, in a, a nicer way, obviously. And so I was like, Okay, fine. So I, I, I remember texting Star and was just like, hey, Rich invited me out to this thing and I should probably go. Like, is it okay? And she goes, cool. that's fine. So I just basically drove all the way from Kansas City directly straight to Douglas Corner. And I got there and I didn't know anybody I didn't know except for Rich. He was the only person in the audience that I
0: knew. Wow. And what year is this?
1: Uh, 2015. Okay. Which is when I moved here. So it was... Okay. It was literally, like, two months after I moved here. So I moved here, like, June 29th.
0: Wow. And
1: I went... So the show... The Loud Jams I went to was August. All right. And that first, you know, week of August... So it wasn't even two months. It was, like, a month after I was moved here. Yeah. And... Um... So I walk in, and I don't know anybody. And I don't even know the songs. I'm like... Because Tom goes talk about deep cuts, when we were talking about her. That Tom goes so deep sometimes. And I'm, I'm a really, really avid music listener and collector. And I mean, in my garage out there, there's over three thousand CDs in there in boxes that I haven't, you know, right. unpacked since I moved to Nashville. Because it's just like I don't use CDs anymore. So it's like, why not? I hear you. But he even picks stuff that I'm just like what the fuck song is this? like you know and which is great because you kind of learn new stuff and Mm -hmm. especially as a musician you're like this song's really cool you know whatever I'm gonna check out this band now
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and
1: I've totally done that (sighs) as a result of this and so anyway and then I hear Chris Nix who I didn't know at the time launching into the guitar intro for a song called The Oaf by Big Wreck and I was like no way, you know, and I was just in the back kind of just casually observing and kind of looking around, seeing if I knew anybody and whatever, and I basically kind of sprinted to the front and was like I gotta see this, cause nobody covers that band, period and and, and especially did that well, like, yeah, I was like wow, this is crazy, and I, uh and they were awesome, and I was just and I was up front for the rest of the night, just like cause every song after that I was like some song that I really loved. I don't remember the order or everything, but I remember like the last song was like uh, Mike and the Mike and the Mechanics, <laughs> the Living Years, and Vail Johnson um, from Kenny G's band was playing bass and singing on it, and it was funny because I actually knew who he was because I was a fan of his way back from watching him on like the Arsenio Hall show and stuff. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, "Well, that guy," and so. <laughs> anyway um, and then Tom Hurst is up there playing and I can't place him for anything but he looks really familiar to me I, and it was driving me crazy so I went and I knew that was his show from somebody said that was, well was, you know because I think it was like any new musician how do you get on this gig mm-hmm. how do you do it whatever Well, oh, you gotta talk to the guy the white hair guy on the drums okay what's his name Tom Hurst and he looks really familiar so I Google his name, and I realized that he was on the road playing with Sister Hazel, back in the same time that Pomeroy was touring and doing runs with Sister Hazel, and playing on the rock boat and all this stuff with him. So okay. we had been in the same room a lot together, but never met, like okay. or whatever, which is hilarious. He was doing percussion.
0: That's cool on
1: the Sister Hazel game with with Mar. Right. And so. And Pomeroy
0: uh, is your band from Pomeroy was, Kansas City.
1: Yeah. Um, Pomeroy's an old band. Rock band? uh, Yeah, we were kind of like this mixture of Sublime and 311. Uh, You know, we really did well in the college markets. Gotcha. uh, In the Midwest. So, all the way from like Minneapolis and Chicago down through Texas and Oklahoma, that was kind of our route. Okay. And where we did well. And um, so, and we did that. I joined the band in 2003, I believe, 2002, 2003. Okay. And I, we did it up until 2010, 11, somewhere around then. Did it for a long time. And they were even together from 98 before I joined. So, wow. Uh, we had, put out a few albums, sold a lot. it did really well for ourselves. We were one of those bands that just, and I was the keyboard player in that band, okay and we we were one of the those bands it was just like everybody was like we were always so close so close and never happened we just didn't know the right people the right connections we weren't living maybe in the right part of the united states who knows but i mean you know we would go play to play in denver 800 900 people we played in omaha nebraska to 1100 people Whatever, Kansas City, we usually did average of you know pretty well. I mean, so we had a good run and had a really good following. Uh, We go to St. Louis and we play with uh, some friends of ours called the Urge a lot, and we sell those places out. But for whatever reason, it just never took off on a on a wider scale, you know, for people to even know who we were.
0: Right. Right.
1: And regional but yeah we were very regional but
0: you met Tom Hurst while
1: you were yeah in, I mean well, inadvertently well you didn't meet him, but you gotcha
0: you.
1: yeah so I figured it out that night and I talked to him at the end of the night I was like hey man did you play with you played with Sister Hazel back in the day he's like yeah don't know, we were just kind of connecting there there you go and then I was like well I'd love to play your gig I play keys and I didn't really mention that I played anything else yet. You know, I just right. figured Keys was a place, good place to start, especially since even in a city like Nashville, where it's inundated with musicians of all calibers and kinds, the one thing I still heard over and over and still do is, man, not a lot of good keyboard players. I'm like, really? Okay, well... That I mean, that becomes advantageous for people like us because that gives us more work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I work more often as a keyboard player than anything else. I think because there's a zillion guitar players and drummers, but yeah. it's not a lot of guys playing keys. So, um, so he goes, "Yeah, I'll send you the list." And he sent me the list, and I was like, "Oh man, I know like most of these. I know probably eighteen, twenty of them, or whatever." Um, just let me know you know, which song or two you need me on or whatever. And he's like, I'll just play all of them. Oh, shit, okay. <laughs> so I was like, my very first Loud James, I was like cramming and programming and programming and programming, wow. like really, and and I saw it as an addition, kind of, because I'm, I'm realizing who these people are. You know, these are all these, especially back then, it was the entire... The entire crew were all guys who played, you know, sidemen for major play, major country artists. Right,
0: and, right.
1: You know, they and others. Yeah,
0: rock acts too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you
0: don't really realize.
1: I mean, it's a lot more rock acts now than it was then. Okay. Then it was straight up like, you know, here's the guy from Taylor Swift's band, and here's the guy from Florida Georgia Line, here's the guy from this band, and okay. I was just like, ooh, <laughs> wow, okay.
0: I think my first one was May
1: 2016. Yeah, I think. and we moved? Yeah, we had moved uh, to High at that point.
0: I believe my first show was at the High Yeah,
1: and that's where it started. When we moved to High Watt, it started to diversify more, and we had a lot more new players and stuff like that. But at Douglas Corner, it was a lot, usually the same guys, a lot of the same folks.
2: Okay.
1: Um, so, and
0: so we how- kind of outgrew
1: Douglas Corner, so we just had to, so. Gotcha.
0: How, how did the first show go when you had inc- to play all those? It was
1: incredible. Like, because I really... And I, it's funny because I was going through this hard drive last night, literally yesterday. It's strange that we're having this today. And I found all these... This footage of me filming myself preparing for that particular gig, like how I was programming, because we did uh, "Take a Chance" by Abba. So I like I oh, yeah. programmed like the left hand being like this arpeggiated bass, you know that whole thing, and then having like strings and pads and and bells and all kinds of stuff that's on that song, and splitting the keyboard in uh, like four different spots to be able to hit all those things. Gotcha. And. Just for that one song, you know? And then we did, like... Gosh, it was, like, um... Uh... What's that damn song? A whole lot. I can't remember all the stuff now. But, um... There's a lot of songs. There's a lot of material to program for. And... I also didn't know you could use charts yet. So I had memorized everything, you know?
0: <laughs> right.
1: And I put all, this, all the work oh, yeah. into it. Yeah. And... But, on the other hand, there's also all songs that I already knew and was really familiar with
2: mm-hmm.
1: at the yeah. time. So, which is kind of why I picked them. I was like, well, I know all these songs. Gotcha. I just didn't. But the things that take the most time, as anybody knows in keyboard world, is programming. Right. And trying to match sounds. And I was really, really picky about it at the time. Sure. I'm a lot less picky about it
0: now. <laughs> well, you put on as much time. I mean, it takes time. Oh well, yeah, that's it true. It really know. takes a long time sometimes.
1: That was really fun, and I it's when we first moved here, so we were living in an apartment, and I had this really, really annoying neighbor, <laughs> and <laughs> downstairs, <laughs> that like, I mean, my kid would fart, and they he'd be knocking on the ceiling, oh. telling me it's too loud or whatever. So <sighs> I'm practicing and. Not realizing, realizing like I'm using my right foot on the pedal, and that pedal, that noise is kind of <laughs> coming down in his apartment, and it's like I don't know, two in the morning, and the cops show up, and oh, it's like, my gosh, I was like, well, what's going on? Yeah, well, it's not, I guess you got a noise complaint from your neighbor downstairs. God, like, oh, man, this guy he called. He called the cops on us, like, every week for a while.
0: Oh, my <laughs> gosh.
1: <laughs> so it was an inter- interesting time to be a musician in Nashville uh, and, and try to
0: practice. Practice, yeah.
1: So <laughs> anyway, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of good enough. But that <laughs> so the Loud Jams world, um, three months later after moving here, I ended up on a bus... With Tracy Lawrence, Tom and I went to lunch one day, and he said, well, Tracy needs a keyboard player. Well, yeah, I'd love to try. I would never played country music in my damn life, and I didn't know a single Tracy Lawrence song at all. When Tracy was popular, I was listening to, you know, Nine Inch Nails and Alice in Chains and <laughs> not country music. You know, it was, it was the 90s. It was different. That's, you know, the alternative music. and Yes, And still, kind of all the 80s bands, too, and all that. You know, I just, country just wasn't my thing. Um, I didn't really accrue to appreciate that genre until way later in my life. And um, so that gig was a lot of work for me because I'd never heard any of the songs. I had no basis of familiarity on any of the material. (laughs) And then he sends me a board tape. Of the guy, of live shows, so I could learn the live versions of the shows. Right, and that guy is extraordinarily good. And I'm just like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna pull this gig off, because I'd never played like that honky tonk style of. Oh yeah. Piano is a completely different school of thought, mm-hmm. and yes, it's like it's like going from playing classical to jazz. You have to relearn and completely learn, and the way that he played. Um, was very jazzy, actually. And, and, you know, even the chord structure and, and uh, all that had a lot of jazz influence to a certain extent, even though it was honky-tonky and whatever. Sure. Yeah. So, the way it, you voiced the chords. Yeah. It was like, ugh, it was a lot of work. And I still didn't pull it off. You know, I I did the gig for a month and and then there was one night I just had a bad personal day in my life and my head wasn't in the game and when I was supposed to rehearse I was hashing it out with one of the reasons that I had such a bad day I was kind of trying to get that figured out and so instead of working on the song I should have been working on that I was not doing a very good job on on the gig I was not working on it. I was trying to kind of sort out my personal stuff. And then I get to that song that night and I completely can't remember how it starts and freeze up and it's just like I'm (laughs) hanging there holding this F note down with my left hand and the band's looking at me like are you going to start the song? And it's like I can't remember how it goes. And it's like and it was a big hit song too for him. So it was like, you know, Slash Forgot Sweet Child of Mine or something. Oh. I was just, like, <laughs> just hitting that note, just going, shit. I don't remember how this lick goes. That's what it was. Because it was just starts with piano. It was me. And I was just like, Gotcha. Ugh. And then, um, I just, my head wasn't in the game at all that day. And I, I start playing it, kind of. I look over at Darren, who's like one of the best guitar players in the universe. And I'm just like, uh, like, please help me. And he finally picks up and I'm like, I'm not, I clearly don't know what the fuck I'm doing for a minute. And he starts the riff and then I start it, but I start in the wrong place and it just like, it completely shits the bed for a second until it gets like right to the, so I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have this gig after this, there's no way. That was so bad. And that was a Friday night and then Saturday we played and I had a great gig, like a, it was the best one I'd had since I'd been with Tracy, but he would already made up his mind. We pulled in Sunday, and and uh, the music director pulled me aside. I was like, "I, I already know <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I just I appreciate the work, and I I learned a lot about how to prepare for songs wow. um, based on that. You know, because I just still wasn't quite ready. Like I, what?
0: Yeah, tell me how you do. I mean, yeah. That's I mean that's that's what. We all need to do is learn from those,
1: yeah. those and I, and particular I, situations. I was trying to juggle too much And all
0: have it.
1: <laughs> you know, I was trying to do loud jams and do, take on way too much on that. Because at that point, okay. and loud jams, it was me and Josh Rosen and Scott Saunders. And that was it. Those were the only keyboard players. Oh,
2: Nobody gosh. Else. Okay. So wow. we
1: were covering a lot of material. And Scott only ever wanted to do is like two songs. And Josh did, you know, three or four.
0: Yeah.
1: Sometimes or whatever. Yeah. And I took on everything else. Gotcha. And so,
0: which it, helped you a lot. It
1: did, but and Tom put me, in, you know, in charge of hiring the keyboard players. Still hire the keyboard players for mm-hmm. that and kind of
2: yeah
1: arrange it. And uh, but I needed more people. I I just got way it, it I got way overloaded, and yeah. and I was trying to do that stuff and Tracy's stuff and then. I don't remember what else I was doing but I was doing way too much stuff at once and so the retention and when I really should have just cut myself off from everything else and just concentrated 100% on Tracy's stuff right? and just had that stuff nailed down by the time I even showed up which you know when I showed up I was still relying on charts granted I only had like when I didn't have much notice I had like a little over a week's notice before I had the first gig and I had to learn like 26 songs. it was a lot of songs
0: yeah
1: um yeah. Uh, especially stuff that I'd never heard so right it was challenging but man a lot of, I learned a lot from it I was devastated though that I because I felt like I scored this amazing gig and I'd only been here for three months
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know and I felt like I kind of jumped the line in front of all these musicians who've been here for years trying to get gigs like that
0: right I can see how. So. So I kind of felt
1: like an asshole about it, but at the same time, I was really proud of the fact that, you know, I had something like that so quickly. Um, but.
0: Not quite the right thing, though, maybe.
1: Right. It wasn't. Just and, not, uh, and I just, I don't know. Like I said, I learned a lot from it in a good way. Like, <clears throat> even though it's hard, and I remember going to that next Loud Jam's thinking, oh, man, I got to see all these people that, and that I've kind of grown to admire, that have become like my friends and like Luis and all these guys that are pro players or whatever. But, um, and tell them that I already lost the gig, and I was just like embarrassed. And the, one of the first guys I ran into was was my, uh, was Matt Billingsley from Taylor Swift's who right. he, he and I had become friends. And he actually played drums for me in my original band and stuff when I first did my original shows here. And he was just like, look, man, you just got you got fired early. Like everybody in this room has been fired from a gig like one way or another. Like I guarantee you all of them have in some way, you know, and he was like, don't yes. sweat it. He's like, I got fired from Lady Annabelle, and I don't even look, look what gig I got now, <laughs> you know? Yes. I was like, okay, yeah. So it made me feel a lot better. And then I saw Luis Espaya, who plays with Trace Atkins, and he did the same, basically said the same thing. Like, everybody was really supportive, and, yes. and that meant a lot, and it changed my whole perspective on all of it, you know? Fantastic. And, yeah, and, and so, but in the interim of being, the reason I tell that long-ass story was that in that interim of being on the bus, I talked to Tom, and I was like, Hey, I got this idea for a jam like you know I don't want to call it rare hair and basically do kind of what you know, mirrored off of what you're doing like this and just it but the theme of it being all eighties kind of obscure eighties hairband kind of stuff and and right. you know, do you think that'd be a good idea and he basically Given you know yeah that'd be that sounds cool and so um sweet so I started it based on that and actually you know started Douglas Corner too because that I didn't know anybody I've only been here for three three months so right <laughs> I didn't know anybody yet and
0: I had no clue that you had just gotten here like uh, uh maybe seven months before I started playing all the jams yeah I had no clue
1: yeah so I, I I started the first right here was January that that fall upcoming year
0: 2016 yeah
1: 11. okay and uh when we did Douglas Corner and I basically used all the Loud Jams contacts except for a friend of mine uh gosh it, it, all this can branch out to so many different stories but like cause that that, that first Loud Jams with The guy that sang the Big Wreck song, I talked to him after the show. His name is Matt Farley, who's become a really good friend of mine, and a guy that I've played music with, and I love that guy. F- and I talked to him, and I was just like, man, I love that you did that song. Not realizing that he was just, like, assigned to that song, probably, or whatever. I just, I didn't really know how it worked, you know. I just, but I just thought it was cool that they were playing big rec period it was amazing yeah it's like yeah well you seem like a rocker guy like if you're into rock music you got to go to this place called dan McGinnis um on tuesday nights because there's it's a rock there's a rock band there it's called the rock and roll residency and they play there every tuesday and they they're the best and the absolute best uh, oddly enough i'm wearing their shirt right now um at what they at that kind of music like you won't find it better anywhere so i was like okay so i went there and i watched not, i went there on the following tuesday i think i just went and i was like it was like the gates of rock fucking like whatever <laughs> just opened up i was like my people are here yay and i, just, I walked in there's like michael wagner's sitting there just like Okay, that guy produced my whole childhood. That's amazing. And then, like you know, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm and and Eric Rittingham from Cinderella is up on stage playing with, him. and I'm just like, "What is going on? This is amazing." And um, and I meet this this girl Brandy Goldsboro, who was kind of or is was whatever kind of. DJing and um, I'm not really sure her entire role with that group of people other than kind of promoting she helped you know promote them a lot and she DJ music between sets and and she just she was part of it you know but right but the point of bringing her up is she connected me to like Eric Birmingham and Paul Taylor from winger and some of these you know guys from those old bands that live here now that you know like i didn't know them and she was hugely instrumental on connecting me to them for the first rare hair show okay and she wow one thing
0: led to another yeah
1: and she like her enthusiasm for it was really kind of like it was really contagious because for me because and it got me really excited to put this thing together. And uh and so I had Eric play on my first show. He played uh Gypsy Road and, and my Cinderella with you know, and we had Rachel Rodriguez singing it and um, and then like Paul Taylor from Winger played on the Winger song on the first, and I was just like, This is incredible like for me. You know, I, was, I never wouldn't imagine in a million years, like... And now these guys are, like, my friend's friends, you know? But, like, back then, I didn't mm-hmm. really know them. And the fact that they would come and do my show and, you know, and not get paid and just, like, it, just for the for fun was really cool. And yeah. we didn't charge admission or anything on that first show because it was just, like, live jams, you know? And I, I, I really straight-up mirrored kind of... What Tom to, did. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it... I mean, we had, but we it co- pulls
0: together a different group. It of musicians. did, but we
1: kind of had, we kind of had um, a clashing of interest at first on that. But you know, as it's evolved, and it's become a completely different thing. You know, mm-hmm. including people. Even by the second rare hair show, we had almost a completely different group of people that came from a different world, like the rock world and stuff. Yes. Um, as I started to get to know more people in this town and whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. If you build it, they will
1: come. <laughs> and and it's, yeah, it's true. I mean, like, you know, we just did our 11th show. We had 137 different musicians. Uh, 50, over 50 of them had never played our show before, which was great because we needed some new blood and some new players in the, in the show, which yeah. brought new people. And it's was the best attended show that we've had since the second one.
2: Great. So the
1: second show we did, we teamed up with the band Faster Pussycat and Faster Pussycat opened up. They played... Uh, uh, like a forty-five or an hour set first, and then we started rare hair afterwards,
2: right. and that
1: was really cool. Um, and the reason we did that was because promoter of this bring a fast pussy cat was a friend of mine. I was like, dude, don't put, don't bring them here on the same day I'm doing my show because that'll completely tank my show. <laughs> you know, because it's the same demo, you know, same crowd, same people. Right. Like, so can we find a way to work together and just make this work? And so that's what we came up with. We just had them play first, which they loved because they could play and then just hang out and party with their friends and get you know ridiculous, <laughs> and and we could do the jam and and you know we did and it, it worked really well. And so there was three hundred ten that night, and then this last show we had three 300, like three hundred thirty five. Okay. So it's and you know,
0: you're raising money for <laughs> charities. No, yeah. And- so
1: now basically. The second show we charged to pay the band to pay Fast Cat, but it was a different promoter. Okay. And then once we got to um, that show you did, the twelfth Importer, was yeah. the first show that we used that we did a charity. Yeah. And the reason I did, I had to go with that route was because I always have expenses because I always do something unique. So, like, that, that show that you played on at 12th and Porter, I spent, like, 500 bucks to get those risers, you know, because you had the horn players and nice. the drummer and then the keyboard riser. So, and I really wanted this kind of Prince of the Revolution era, like, stage setup where basically two stages. That's nice. kind of how I envisioned it. And so I was like, how am I going to do that? So somebody suggested I just call SIR and rent some risers. Well, that costs, you know, a bunch of money. So I was like, well, I'm going to make this money back. I'm gonna have to charge a little bit at the door to make it back yeah but at the same time I didn't want to hire a bunch of musicians to play for free and then just pocket the money you know I just didn't think that's fair so that was where the whole charity idea came from and now a lot of people are doing that kind of stuff and I'm sure I don't know where you know whatever but it's just like yeah it uh, so we've done suicide prevention and MS. Our friend Chadley has MS, so we did a thing for MS one one time. We've done uh, domestic violence and awareness and whatnot, and then this last one we did was old dogs. Uh, her old friend's senior dog sanctuary, which is the coolest thing. I didn't even know that existed, and this lady Wendy, who uh, played bass and helped me kind of facilitate some of the promotion for this show. Um, she, she was like, "Hey, would you be interested in doing this old dog sanctuary thing?" I was like, "I love dogs. Yeah, of course I do that." So, um, so she sent me a link, and I kind of did some research, and then I didn't really even realize it. Like my friend uh, Brooke works there, and you know, one of our friends that played the gig a lot, her boyfriend uh, Brian Powell. So I was like, "Well, that's all connected. So that's even cooler. Like it's you know and." I always want the charity be charity to be local, locally based, yeah. and whatever, and instead of like some big, you know, whatever, like everything, what? something that benefits community in some way. So we've done like the Music Cares, uh, I believe, or uh, you know, and stuff like that. So right. <clears throat> anything where it's could be traced back to Nashville in some way. So.
0: And would you say, it sounds like what you're saying is, so you created this big network for yourself, not intentionally, but but through the stuff that you really love yeah. doing, and your people. You said, I found my people. Yeah,
1: right. So sure. is
0: that did that lead to all the work in the world that you would ever want?
1: Uh, yeah, Pretty absolutely. A hundred percent.
0: And the right kind of work? I'm going like, to guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, this year's been one of the best years of my life, period. It's, it's like... The things that I've been able to do this year, my teenage self would have shit in his pants. Like I just, <laughs> right. like, what? You know, like I just played on stage with Billy Sheehan last, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Like, I I wore that Mr. Big stuff out. I still do. I love that band. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I I I played with Paul Gilbert years ago. Years ago, I got to do. Play bass on one of his clinics, and did we did two dates with him, and that was like a dream come true because he's my favorite guitar player ever, and Billy was my base favorite bass player ever, and so I, I was like, well, man, shit, now I just got to play keys for Eric, and I'll be good, you know, because Pat died last year, so, <laughs> and I could have played, but I didn't, I didn't do the drummer jam, uh, when Pat they did the Pat Torby thing, but um, <clears throat> yeah, it's like. Everything so all of it led to something else, so the vixen gig so I just have to talk about that, but i you know I play keys and I'm tour manager for vixen, who are basically a all female band that had a couple hits in the late eighties. um How long
0: have you been doing that and
1: I've been there God it'll be three years oh wow, in February
0: time is fine it's,
1: it really has, and um yeah, Brittany and I both. Audition at the same time, I got the gig at the same time, and uh, and that was a result of the same kind of network. Like, so it's my buddy Ryan Cook from. Uh, it's his birthday today, so that's why I'm wearing this T-shirt with his face on it. <laughs> but uh, he, he 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 and I. So when I went to that residency gig, and the I, I was wearing an Accept T-shirt, and the guitar player Jeremy saw me, he was like, he kind of pointed at me, he was like, and then on the, on his break, he's like, hey, that's a cool shirt, man, uh, did you know that, like, pretty much all the Accept guys are here tonight, and I was like, uh, no, so I look over, and he's like, well, let me go introduce you to him, so he introduced me to Peter, and, and Christopher, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I was like, okay, that's kind of weird, and that, the whole band that the t-shirt that i'm wearing is just hanging out at this gig you know watching this other band and (laughs) anyway the other person he introduces me to is this guy named ryan cook he's like i got this other band that i play in called the big rock show we do like kiss cruise and kid rock cruise and all these kinds of different events or whatever and it's basically uh it's like this but it's all 80s arena rock and he, like, rattled off the songs. I was like, oh, shit, I know all those songs. He's like, well, Paul Taylor's from Winger is our keyboard player, but he's really busy on the road with Tom Kiefer right now. So we need subs all the time. And I was like, well, I yeah, that's, like, right in my wheelhouse. Like, I know I, I could play all those songs right now with you guys and probably be pretty flawless. you like, okay, well, come over here and meet Ryan, because it's his band. Jeez. So I meet Ryan. And Ryan is awesome and and he's one of the nicest people still to this day, like, in our world, you know, and he's given me so much opportunity just like Tom did and everything like that. And so I start, um, sure enough, it was February of next year and Paul wasn't available and they were doing a show at 12th and Porter and they needed a keyboard player and I sat in I played it was great we had a rehearsal the day before and that led to the first cruise that I did which was the Rob Gronkowski from the New England Patriots the Gronk Cruise which I'd I'd never been on a cruise anyway and much less and I don't give a shit about football at all so I don't even know who that dude was but he's like ultra famous you know especially in football (laughs) And, it was and this, he
0: hosts this cruise? Yeah,
1: and it's this mixed cruise of, like, Gronk fans and then just regular cruise people, like, going on a cruise. So it was just, like, <laughs> it looked like Jersey Shore threw up in on this boat, and then a bunch of old people were just kind of chilling. It's, it was such a weird mix of people. <clears throat> and we were the only rock band on that particular one. Everything was everything else was DJs and rappers. Like, like it was hilarious. Like, Flo Rida... <laughs> was on it, and he was actually really awesome. His show was really cool, and and they kept apologizing, like, this is not usually what it's like, and I was just like, hey, I don't care. I got a free cruise. I'm having a blast, and I'm hanging out with, you know, and get to know these guys, And right, and it's just gut laughs all the time, like, they're <laughs> just so much fun, and so just wait till the summer if we get the Kid Rock cruise. It's a whole lot different. Okay, cool. You know, whatever. I just I was just happy to be there and I just was happy to have new friends, you know, because I'm still new. and In right. Nashville still at this point, you know. Sure. And these are more my... kind of like my people, like I said before. Like, these are the guys I see myself hanging out with when I'm older, you know, too. And just... Yeah. Whatever. And so, anyway, that... I believe that between the big rock show and then sitting in with the rock and roll residency from time to time, I don't know. I still need to ask this guy exactly because I'm curious. I don't remember, and my, my memory is so bad. But there's this guy named Tony Higby, he plays guitar for Tom Keefer's band.
2: Okay.
1: And I was pulling in this Target over here in Murphy's Row, and my phone lit up and said, Tony Higby. I'm like, what the hell is this guy calling me for? Um really know him you know like and I, I don't even remember why it had, had even had his phone number programmed in my phone uh at that point I, I just don't remember but he called me and he's like Cher from Vixen uh is looking for a keyboard player that does tour managing duties you have to be able to like have you ever done that stuff before I like, yeah I did it you know it was a much lesser extent with Pomeroy but I did it you know booking rooms and making sure gear's there and all that kind of stuff
2: okay
1: um so he's like okay well here's here's the deal you know she's gonna contact you awesome. and then you're gonna <laughs> fly down or whatever they'll, they'll you'll talk to talk to their manager larry first and he'll give you the logistics of it all and then you know good luck basically um, and then a couple weeks, few weeks later, we were on a plane to Florida, to the bass player's house, and it was just and share and, and and Roxy, the original drummer and original bass player, and uh, Janet wasn't there; she was working in Connecticut at the time. So it was just we basically rehearsed with no vocals. But because of my lesson learned in the Tracy Lawrence camp, I totally like over prepared on the Vixen gig, like I. And plus, I learned songs from both albums that you know, and had basically every song charted and ready to go. Like, gotcha. if they said, "Hey, do you know this song?" Yes, I do, and I was ready to go.
2: Yes. And
1: um, so, Britt and I came in, and we slammed through it, and did fine. We've both been in there ever since. Uh, it's been our gigs ever since then. And that led to so many, so many other things, you know. Really. And just being part of that band I've played with I mean I I've played with almost all of my heroes now and so you know period Uh, on
0: the same shows basically
1: is what you're saying yeah like whether it's us opening for them or whether it's uh, you know them playing on my jam on the cruise or whatever like it's just insane Yeah. yeah and so when I say I've had one of the best years ever this year it's like I played my second Monsters of Rock Cruise this year um, but this year, Larry, allowed, uh, who's our manager and who also runs these cruises, he allowed me to have a rare hair jam on the cruise. And, on, and as a result of that, I had all these guys playing on my show, you know, guys from Kicks and Fast Pussycat and all these bands that I love that are on my, playing my show, you know, on this boat. And it was extremely successful to the point where we're doing it again this year with, and we got more time so we're doing like two hours this year instead of one hour whatever and I'm just getting to know everybody this year like they're all like and some of them you know we did a gig with Extreme. Vixen did like the summer and I I walk back into the dressing room area and I see Gary Sharon standing there and I look at him and I just say hey man and he goes oh hey Tyson and I was like the fact that he knew my name was just like what? Okay, that just kind of blew my mind. That was weird. <laughs> I was just like, uh, that's like, that's kind of awesome, you know. And surreal and so thrilling surreal. and like all this stuff. And, and then, you know, uh, so we did that. We did the Monsters Cruise, and that was awesome. And then this summer, I did the Megadeth Cruise. Well. I did this rare hair show here in Nashville that featured, that was all centered around Dave Ellison from Megadeth. Um, And I met him on the ship rock cruise earlier this year where I did the stowaways thing. Okay. So, um, you know, I told him about rare hair on the boat, and I was like, I'd love to get you down to do one. And we tried and tried to get that to happen, and scheduling just wasn't working. I even had moved the day like twice just to try to work around him, and it just didn't work out. Right. And finally, he was like, "Well, I'm coming in for that rock and pod uh, podcast thing, so." I remember that. Yeah, so he's like, "Can we do something around that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I, even though that's a, the date I originally wanted to do it in the first place, but sure, yeah, we'll make it work." And sure enough, we did, and it was awesome. And all these local Nashville players got to play with Allison. It was a big, you know, big thing for them mm-hmm. and for me. It was awesome, <clears throat> and so. Fast forward to, well, it was more like October, it wasn't summer.
0: Right. Okay. We did
1: the Megadeth Cruise. And Megadeth can't play because the singer had throat cancer and he was going through his treatments. So there's Megadeth Cruise, there's no Megadeth, it was really weird. So we were doing all this, or Dave was doing all this extra stuff to kind of make up for the fact that Megadeth couldn't play. And... Um, and Larry said, hey, you want to do a rare hair on, on the Megadeth? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. Especially because I, like, I, t- I called Larry. He's was like, I will, like, <laughs> get me on that boat. Because I'll, like, mop floors or something. I don't care. I just want to go to that. Because, like, even though the big hair, like, glam music is what I really came up on, what I really learned how to play music was Anthrax and Megadeth and Metallica and, and all that kind of Bay Area thrash fast stuff that's right. as a guitar player that taught me how to play guitar okay and, I was just gonna
0: ask not keyboards
1: yeah
0: so and, how many instruments do you play everything uh, I know I've I seen you do on
1: brass uh, okay. but uh, if it's got strings I can usually figure it out yeah and then obviously guitar bass
0: yeah,
1: drums yeah keys mm-hmm. yeah I mean I was, shit there's even an accordion back there and I uh, I got some stupid instruments and I got a fretted violin and whatever but yeah <laughs> So, Nate. so yeah, so anyway, I got to do the... So you uh, went, you got On to, the Megadeth cruise, we did uh, one, too, a rare hair, and wow. Dave sat in with us, and, you know, so, like, and then, but the kicker on that was they were doing this all-star jam thing, and since Dave saw me organize stuff here, he's like, hey, can you help me organize the all-star jam? So I walk in this rehearsal, and he wants me to organize the rehearsal, keep it, you know, flowing. Right. I walk into my my entire childhood of like sitting in this room, and I'm just like, uh. you know, two guys from Anthrax, and the singer from <laughs> Testament, the singer from Overkill, and all these bands that I love. And I'm just like, and I'm, hi, I'm the guy that you don't know, and I'm in charge today, and kind of, but yeah. So anyway, you know, <laughs> oh, so weird and so, but awesome at the same time, you know. Terrifying, but everybody was so cool and super nice. And mm-hmm. Now I have new friends from that world, you know, and that was the only world I hadn't really tapped into yet and, in, in like, what I do and stuff. So,
0: right.
1: Yeah. So everything's just kind of come full circle this year and been amazing, and I, which is funny because we're on a keyboard podcast and we've barely talked about keyboards at all.
0: <laughs> well, it's, um, <laughs> you know, everybody has a different, like, um, different stage of their yeah. life too that they're in you know like i've talked to a lot of the young people that are in town that yeah. are just starting and they're figuring out Right. You know what gear do I use, and right. and like uh, how do I you know navigate all these gigs and learning all these songs and things. I mean, I
2: yeah. think
0: you know you said you're 45, right? So yeah. And you you played like on a regional, very successful level for years, and yeah. in Kansas.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Then, we toured out of that, and we went all over the United States, and even went across right. the world and played for the troops and did a bunch of stuff like that.
0: So
2: you've
1: well, in mean, cover lot of bands experience. my whole life too. Like I did okay. a funk band. That played like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Parliament, and Cool and the Gang, and like deep cut stuff like Lakeside and One Way, and shit like that. And I did that for eight years. And it was an all black band except for me, and they were all twice my age. Like they're all in their 40s, and I was in my 20s. And it was some of the best experience and, and yeah. education that I've ever had. Yeah. And I did that. And then after that, when my drummer and I were so tired of playing Brick House every damn night of our lives, we <laughs> we started a 90s band called 90 Minutes and we did that for six years it was and the whole the rule in the 90s band was the song had to come out from between January 1st 1990 and December 31st <laughs> 1999 didn't matter what genre okay whatever Just as long as it came out in the 90s so All and right. what you discover <laughs> in that is that the 90s was the first decade really diversified extremely diversified pop music so Uh, In terms of, like, having huge hits from pop music, country music, and Latin music was huge, and metal music was huge, and alternative was huge, and, you know, swing was huge. Like, every genre across the board had something that was really, really popular. Interesting. And... I
0: hadn't really thought about that. And
1: rap music was really taken, you know, like getting huge like really big yeah you know cause back in the late 80s rap music was like you either listen to rap music or you listen to rock music you know you, right. know you didn't listen to both and it was way before and so you know your Tupac's and your all those kind of guys came out in the 90s or whatever But Garth Brooks also broke in the 90s you know so he made right. country huge again and uh, in, a, in a in a different kind of accessible way Right. Uh, it wasn't so twangy. It wasn't, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, that, yeah. kind of kept a lot of people away from it before.
0: Yes.
1: You know, and then you had Jennifer Lopez and Ricky Martin had this Latin movement that was just really big. And, you right. know, of course, then there's always your Mariah Carey and your Christina Aguilera and all that kind of stuff. You know, pop music's always going to be there. And, you know, Michael Jackson and Janet. Right. Um, but then, like, White Zombie and Pantera and Alice in Chains and Nirvana and all that. all Just so much stuff. yeah. so to be in a 90s band that didn't have rules was awesome because and I was a bass player in that band uh, and so I had to learn just lots of different styles you know we played everything from Primus to you know like it it didn't matter as long as it came out in that decade so, and so now I come here, and everybody's playing a lot of those same songs on Broadway because they're know, popular now. That
0: makes sense. And, but the fact that you played all those different instruments, I would think, would make you a very good band um, promoter, leader of these different events. You know, you know, you can watch the other players. You know what their skills are. Right. what their
1: And that's strengths. how I apply it to them when I for Rare Hair I go the, you know I send out an email. Send me your top. Five songs that you'd be interested in playing, mm-hmm. and then I think about those people, their skill level, and how and who and how they would fit on whatever those songs are. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and to be truth be told, sometimes people pick songs that are out of their capability, you know, or they pick songs that I just don't maybe for whatever reason don't vision them fitting, right? You know, right, and so but because they gave me five songs, I have other choices, but that song, they're going to be really awesome on. Because my, with my show, and I don't, I don't speak for anybody else and anybody's shows, but, for me, I want that person to walk off stage going, man, I kicked that song's ass. I was like, <laughs> awesome. And I also want the audience to go, that guy was really awesome on, you know, the kazoo, or whatever, the instrument they were playing on that song. Right. And, so, the idea is to play to the strengths of that musician so that they walk off feeling really good about mm-hmm. their performance. And, right. And so somebody else sees them and maybe gives them some work, you know, because that's honestly, like, that's... To me, those shows, for me, are about camaraderie, right. promoting the uh, scene within itself, and also just kind of being able to show off what you do so that maybe you will get some work down the road. From, and it has led to work. It's led to people forming bands. You know, there's been a couple of bands that have formed because they met at Rare Hair at my shows, which is really cool. Right. Um, and then there's plenty of guys, you know, that are working on Broadway now or they're working with so-and-so because they met at my shows or whatever. Yeah, or, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and then there's also just, like, the rock star connection. There were... I get, you know some of these people have had a chance to play with their heroes like Bobby got to play with Billy Sheehan. I didn't tell him he was gonna play with Billy Sheehan until like the week before, and he almost <laughs> shit his pants. But <laughs> you know he just happened to pick that song first, he, I, and I didn't even have Billy on the thing yet. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll put you on that, and then once yeah. Billy, I saw out, him
0: talking backstage. What's that? Uh, getting a picture made, yeah, you know, yeah, with yeah, him yeah, and yeah. stuff.
2: I, talk, I saw. I am him talking to him, and he was yeah, yeah he was so, I really
1: thrilled. Him. I love to be able to give that to people. Mm -hmm. That's a good feeling just to... Yeah. um, It's it's really about boosting the morale and also just celebrating music that I love and playing stuff that I never get to play ever or hear get played, you know. It's really really fun.
0: It's awesome, Tyson, really. Okay, Okay, so we're back. We're back. (laughs) Um, Several hours later... Now yeah. I'm down here. I'm, I'm just, like, trailing you all day. No, I'm, right.
1: I'm, I'm kidding. But. She, went, she followed me to pick up my kids from school and everything.
0: <laughs> we are <laughs> downtown now
1: um, at Dick's. Dick's last Resort.
0: Yeah. I've never been here.
1: Well, the food's pretty good. It's it's kind of a different atmosphere. We, so I play piano for... I do the dueling piano thing when I'm not gigging with Vixen or doing something else. The dueling piano work is... Like my bread and butter day, it's my day job, so to speak. And uh, how long have you been doing
0: that? Uh, I
1: started in 2012.
0: Okay. In so. Kansas
1: City at Howl at the Moon.
0: All right. And is that a chain? It
1: is a big chain. Yeah. There's, I don't know, 13, 16 locations all across the United States. Oh, wow. I didn't but realize that. When I moved here, I came to visit, and a friend of mine who worked with me at Howl at the Moon told me I got to go talk to this guy, Sam Leatherwood who's the owner of a company called the big bang and the big bang used to be located on broadway above paradise park okay um but then that building got bought out last year for 27 million dollars oh wow for them to redo the whole thing and they kicked everybody out of the building Mm. and they've turned it into that sporting whatever crap that it is now with axe throwing which because axe throwing and drinking on broadway goes together great (laughs) and um it, failed. it did not do well at all. Like, I've never saw people in there. It was always dead. And they just, like, about two weeks ago, uh, reopened it as Paradise Park downstairs. Wow. And they redid the downstairs and there. And so, the, but at this point, we're out, so we're not going back, you know. So we've actually lost a lot of our foot traffic because of the move, because we're not on Broadway anymore. Um mm-hmm for those who don't live in Nashville, uh, Dick's Last Resort here is located on 2nd Avenue, which is, you know, right off of Broadway, but the traffic on 2nd second, second is considerably less than it is just on that Lower Strip. I had no
0: idea.
1: So, so... I wonder why. What's, uh, well, oh. I, you know, I think...
0: Just not uh, as many People bars. just
1: not awareness. People okay. don't realize all the stuff is down here, you know. Okay. Uh, and there's more restaurants. There's like Hooters and the old spaghetti factory and some things like that down here
0: demos
1: yeah well, uh, that's yeah that's on third that's just a block over oh. but still yeah it's basically anything that's off Broadway is just a little bit I, I play at Big Shots <clears throat> um, every Wednesday night and
0: what time
1: uh, it's 6 to 10 I, it's, okay. a, it's, a, it's the only band that I can play like Mandatory Suicide by Slayer and all this ridiculous metal music that we do from 6 to 10 we do it every week and they've been doing it for like 5 years and it's never I've yet to see it busy ever which is kind of so when we played at Rare Hair, I was trying to like, like I stopped before we played and I was like hey All you people that like this kind of music, there's a band that plays every Wednesday, yeah, on you know on Second Avenue. But nobody, people that live down here don't come down here.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: People that live down here don't want to mess with the parking and they they don't want to mess with all that. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Before we turned on
1: the yeah, so it's really dependent on the transients and the 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 tourists and whatnot. Gotcha, gotcha. And and gets is different because like uh, when we were on Broadway. We started off slow, then it got busy at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. So, you know, by one o'clock, it was, you know, eleven o'clock was packed, and it was really busy until we closed. Here, it's the exact opposite. Here, our job is to basically keep the dinner crowd here as long as they can stay, as they want to stay.
0: Right. And. And you're taking requests.
1: Yeah, it's all requests. So. Okay. um, Basically, you know, we start the show saying. Write, write down your favorite songs, favorite artist, genre, decade, whatever it is you want us to do, just write it down, and then, you know, hopefully you'll throw a tip on there with it, and then we play it as much as we can. Um, and what's fun about that is, that's different than, like, say, Broadway or anything like that, is it's just completely unpredictable Yeah. what you get. But, you know, the funny thing about all that we do, and I'm sure you've seen this in your line of... You know, your band, band's in line of work, whatever, is that out of the billions of songs that exist in the world, we still get the same 50 <laughs> goddamn song requests. Like, the same uh, songs week after week after week. It's I like, know, yeah. Y'all, do you realize that home. Journey has more than one song. <laughs> and,
0: Sally.
1: <laughs> and Rick Springfield's gotten no more than one song, and Def has got more than one song. Like, they, they all made other songs, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, there's just, I don't know if it's radio or media or what it is that's made that like instilled into the minds of base, the basic music consumer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you're kind of low and common denominator listener, radio listeners or whatever. And that's nothing to say that to be insulting of them, you know, like I, it's just when you're not musicians like us, maybe you just. I don't, I don't know. Right. Like, how does that work? It's. Right. It's the same thing. That, the other thing that baffles me is when I first started doing the dueling piano job, um, like, there's different songs that have cues, like, audience cues. Um, and some of them make sense, like Sweet Caroline and the ba-ba-ba. Like, that, you gotcha. that is something that was you know sports games all across the united states especially in boston is such a big deal um mm-hmm. uh, but there's other things like when we do uh the uh, you never even call me by my mm-hmm. name by david mm-hmm. allen Coe and yeah. that whole let me let me Let." like who started that yeah the very who's the first person that started that and then it just caught on throughout the whole like mm-hmm. you know uh, american collective like it's such a strange phenomenon to it me is. that um, those kind of things catch on like family that.
2: Tradition? That's family tradition? Family tradition
1: one. another one. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, some some motherfucker started that a long, long time ago, <laughs> right. and like, and somebody else did it, and like, because it, it had to start from just like a person. Yeah. Right, and then how it's, does that just become like the thing that you do on that song? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a it's a really fascinating thing to it me is. to. And and I've tried to even, like, Google the origins of some of that stuff. And it's just, some of it's really difficult. Most of it I found, like, the Sweet Caroline, um, the, the sports games that started from that.
2: Probably, But, yeah. like,
1: you know, in you know, Friends of Little Places, that's an obvious one. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, Aces, okay, got it. You know, that's a big, it's mm-hmm. a really good point to kind of point at the audience. Okay, you sing it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And what's cool about, I think I mentioned this earlier today... About the doing piano gig is you learn how to do those kinds of audience sing along cues mm-hmm. and those kind of things you can apply to a band. Yeah. Um, and you, especially if you had a dead audience that's just kind of sitting there looking at you like, eh. and <laughs> right. you play something like that and get them involved, then all of a sudden they're part of the show kind of and um, they yeah. are a little more attentive.
0: Yeah. You've got you've just sold the bar another round of drinks.
1: <laughs> Hopefully. You've yeah. just
0: let the people that walk in the door. <laughs> see that there's a party going on and they want to stay right. and I mean it's it is it's part of our jobs
1: yeah for sure
0: to make them money
1: <laughs> yeah butts and seats that's what's always
0: <laughs> if I name bands like if tell me what song you guys play typically like if uh, sticks, for instance uh,
1: Come Sail Away is the most typical
0: seriously okay because yeah. it's a piano part yeah. so do people like do they ask actually ask for piano songs on purpose they do
1: because and that's the other thing is like you know they That's see kind of they see piano, so they go piano. Yeah. So you get 46 requests for piano man tonight. <laughs> I knew you say that. You get Benny and the Jets. Oh yeah. You know, and you'll and then uh, the sticks doesn't come out as often. That one's just kind of a go-to one that most people play. Okay. Um, now I like to get outside of that band a little bit, and I'll like even in the band scenario, we've been playing like. Uh, uh, we've been playing some other stuff like um, "Too Much Time on My Hands" and mm-hmm. some other things like that, just for fun. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, a lot of bands down on Broadway play "Renegade," uh, okay. where we don't really ever play that here at the Piano Bar for some, whatever reason. It's more of a rock guitar song, so it's a little harder to translate. But that's or the organ. trick about.
0: I can imagine organ. Yeah, but the
1: well. the trick about the Piano Bar is you have to take an entire band. Ensemble, and basically translate it to two hands and okay. vocal. So you have to find ways to... So you
0: guys are not playing at the same time? We are. Okay.
1: But, and a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of times I'll be playing with a younger player has no idea what the hell song I'm playing. You know, like they never heard it <laughs> in their life.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: they're not, I'm like, just don't play anything because otherwise you're going to make a mess. Like, just,
0: right.
1: I mean, play or if it. you do anything, just kind of comp some chords or whatever just kind of use your ear
0: yeah.
1: or shut up because <laughs> right. otherwise it's going to sound like a mess and do
0: you guys use iPads or anything to uh,
1: in this bar we or when so when I was working at Howl at the Moon we used iPads and I was just telling the story last night actually but then when I moved here I got highly criticized for using the iPads and, and I basically said don't use it now I can use my phone because it's less conspicuous. So when you have the iPad, it takes kind of the magic away from it. And so I went back to uh, um, Kansas City, and I saw those guys using their iPads, and I totally saw what they are talking about. It looked terrible. It Interesting. Looked, it, and they're all just playing like this, and they're completely unfocused on the audience. They're yes, not right. even, there's no engagement. And so, you have to kind of, as a player <clears throat> in this environment, you have to find a balance there or at least kind of know your song well enough to where you're not. Now, What about th- the words? That's, well, that's what I use it for. Okay. I use it for <laughs> words mostly because I'm
2: singing?
1: horrible at memorizing lyrics. I mean, there's songs I played for years and years and years. I still, I still flip-flop or completely mess up. Benny and the Jets almost every time <laughs> right. and I played it a, a, a zillion times this yeah. you know I mean I've been listening to Master Puppets by Metallica since I was a kid I still need to pull up lyrics if I'm playing in a band I just can't remember them for yeah. anything now music I can do it all day mm-hmm. I can go no I don't you know no I don't even necessarily need chord charts or anything it's just there's that whole kind of uh, this, that roadmap that you follow musically like okay well I'm going one, four, five whatever the chord progression is you just find it
0: right. but
1: with lyrics that's trickier Yes, because you actually have to know what they are and, and there's a lot of guys in the doing piano world that are really good at just faking it or mm-hmm. just kind of making up their own
0: okay things. <laughs> okay and,
1: and they and they kind of pride themselves on the you know i don't I use any sort I, of okay whatever gotcha. and then but you know back in the old days i was carrying around crates and notebooks and so oh, ipads yeah. and phones the internet made yeah. a huge difference with with that it's so I yeah. have to have to do that all the time
0: Well, I think, you know, depending on what kind of gigs you play. I mean, when I started out, I was doing, like, a lot of dinner hours and, like, jazz combos and things like that. So perfection was expected. I mean, hit the right notes, hit the right chords. You know, right. this is, you can be looser if you're a good entertainer.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and honestly, in this job, and we spoke on this a little bit off script, is it's really more about the entertainment factor than it is about, like, you could be a pretty basic basic, in fact, there are lots and lots of basic people that barely even know how to play a triad that do this job, and it's almost infuriating sometimes, you're like, how how did you get this job, and you're making like, you know, four times what... Your average musician's making—that's mm-hmm. been playing their whole lives and sh- you know and working on their craft and they're amazing and play circles around you, sing circles around you—and right. you're making this money, and you can barely even play fucking <laughs> chopsticks, you know? <laughs> like it's—you just—but it's the nature of our job. Like our—it's not about that. It's more about uh, can you entertain a crowd? Mm-hmm. And you can start doing this job knowing 40 songs. And you would think that would be crazy because it's a request-based show. But if you watch Tonight even for a little bit, you'll kind of see how that works. So, like, you'll see one guy that knows a ton of songs, and the other guy across from him, he knows a lot, but not nearly as many as, as me and the, the other guy that's playing tonight. Gotcha. And so... You can sort as, of pass those off. Right, and so he can pass those around, and he okay. can play... And the audience doesn't... Here's the kind of the secret I'm giving away, but the audience doesn't know that what people are bringing up, you know, they don't know that Johnny or Rachel or whoever's playing is or isn't playing a request. Yeah. They, it's almost an assumption that that's what they're doing.
0: Right. So, I you. Yeah.
1: you know, you can really play whatever you want to play. Right. But it's just good to acknowledge your request because they put money on it. You Absolutely.
0: Know? What if somebody requests a downer? like uh, the most so down song ever. You have ever. to use
1: your judgment on it. <laughs> and when it happens, like, you know, especially it'll be... I'm al- a creep.
0: I'm a weirdo. Yeah, or it'll <laughs> be
1: 11 o'clock on a uh, Friday night and you're playing September and everybody's dancing and somebody brings up Brick by fucking Binfold 5. <laughs> you're like, dude, and I'm sorry, like... And you can totally say, like, look, man, I, I love this song. It's a great song.
2: Yeah.
1: I'll play it for you at the end of the night or... You can give me something that's a little bit up, more up tempo, okay? And uh, it, it can be by the same artist or anything, or yeah. you can just give me something else. Cause yeah, because I just, you know, we're here to have a party. We're having a good time, and that's
0: good.
2: We
1: don't want to bring the mood down, mm-hmm. you know. And that, and, and people are usually pretty receptive about it. Yeah. And or you can take your money back, whatever you want. You know, it doesn't matter. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. We, it's it's all in good fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that
0: yeah. makes total sense. So wow, do you, do you ever freak out now? When at any request, or are you pretty much like I, I've got this under control. I can handle anything that's thrown my way. Yeah,
1: I don't. So, cause it's, it's,
0: you've been doing it now. I played seven everything.
1: Years? Yeah, uh, I guess. Years? Yeah.
0: Okay. So.
2: I mean,
1: I played everything from even last night. You know, at Tootsie's, I was playing in a band. There, I had I was playing keys and guitar, and it was dead, super quiet. And we started messing around. I played Arthur's Theme by Christopher Cross, you know. And we were just kind of playing around, messing with stuff. And this guy nice came in. song.
0: Yeah. Really cool changes. Great song.
1: And then this guy came in dropped 20 bucks for Anarchy in the UK by Sex Pistols. And I was like, okay, fine, let's do that. You know, like, so. And the thing about knowing so many songs, um, this is good for any of the keyboard players or any musician, really. The more songs that you know... Better, you know, the more value you're going to have that you're going to bring to the table. And so, and I, and so I was going through and trying to like make, uh, when I started getting the Broadway work, people were like, Can you send me your list of songs? And I'm, and and here's me going, Are you sure you want me to send that to you? (laughs) Because it's a little bit long.
0: Right. Right. So I
1: went through everything and kind of went through all of my, Different ways and methods that I have to kind of archive lyrics of songs that I know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just with the ones that I absolutely knew, I know before even kind of going into the waters of well, maybe I know that song or maybe I don't. Right, it was over 3,000 songs. Wow, and. So, yeah. So now I'm sending these people these stupid lists of songs, <laughs> and I feel like, like it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Like I'm bragging, like, hey, look at me, I know all these songs. But it's like not that. It's like, hey, I got you covered. And if there's stuff that's not on here, let me know what it is so I can be ready because I, <laughs> you know, I want to prepare and, and do a good job.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, you know, one thing I did realize in kind of prep, prepping that list was. I still, there's a lot of current country music up within the last 10 years that I have no clue. Like, I yeah. just, I, I'm really... I'm, with you. I'm pretty hip to the 90s stuff now. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially having moved here and started playing it a lot with people on Broadway or whatever. Right. Like your Tim McGraw and your Toby Keith and your Tracy Lawrence, obviously, and some of that stuff.
0: Gill, cool. yeah, I guess, Alan Jackson.
1: But you start talking about John Party and... And, and you know Air Church And Florida Georgia Line You're just gonna start Losing me pretty quick Now right. I know all their Real real obvious Overplayed to death songs Like I can play Cruise by FGL And I'm sure all you that get A lot of requests for that Here
0: probably We
1: don't actually Seriously we, it's almost like the piano bar is the place where people come to get away from all that stuff
0: okay <laughs> you know I love that they're asking for piano songs
1: yeah they like, really do
0: if you were gonna like I know this is just a, off the top of your head and maybe it's a crazy question just kind of silly but like let's say somebody like, like one of my students for instance like who's I've got one who's in the 8th grade right now and he just played his recital, like, two days ago. He's, like, playing really hard stuff, and he's into it so much. Yeah. And he's asking me the coolest questions every lesson, you know. just So let's say he wants to know, like, the top five or ten piano songs. Sure. What, what would you say they are? Uh, don't know? Stop
1: Believers, number one, uh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. right. And that's everywhere, all across the United States, yeah. in any bar, whether you're in a band or doing dueling pianos or anything. it's uh, There's no question about it. That's most. Yeah. you know. Uh, then, right under that, there's kind of a lot of other standard stuff like Friends in Low Places is a big one. Uh, pour some sugar on me and Living on a Prayer and in that those, hard rock world. They're
0: not really piano. I mean,
1: they're like, not piano at all. Well,
0: living on a Prayer has a lot of keys in it. Yeah,
1: sure. Synth, whatever. But, but even like, that's what I meant by you. Yeah. And, and I also tell people in the audience, like, hey, you don't have to request piano songs. You request whatever you want. Because okay. that's our job is to kind of be able to try to figure out how to translate that and right. make it, hi, buddy, into right. a piano song gotcha. of some kind, you know. And sometimes guy- it doesn't work. Sometimes it falls <laughs> flat on its ass. <laughs> right. And it just sounds horrible.
0: The guys you work with, do you kind of have a system with them? Like they know pretty much what to fall into if they work with you? Uh, yeah. Like I the, mean, I, they'll play bass All of
1: us... We know each other and played together quite a bit here anyway so there's not very many new faces that come through here but once in a while they do and i actually like playing with people i've never met or people that i have only played with a couple times to kind of feel out where they're at and what kind of players they are and stuff like that because everybody's got a different skill level at every instrument you know some people are better drummers than others because there's a lot of the dueling piano bars there's drums and bass setup, so oh, okay. you know you have right. options. So
0: almost like a small band.
1: Yeah. So, um, and so, like in the old days, <laughs> uh, not so much as these days, but where you play, I play a song, partner plays a song, I play, and that goes on for about forty-five minutes, Okay. and then top of that hour. Uh, we do a band set So everybody in the band And everybody oh, wow. in the group Gets together and plays as a band So to speak Okay And that is how The trans, the transition happens So at that point um, the, the Two people that came up Like on the back line Bass and drums They're the ones taking over For us on the pianos Gotcha And so Like tonight it's different. We only have three. So I play an hour, and then I'm half off for a half hour, and then I play an hour and off for a half hour. Okay. We don't really do as much band-set stuff, but mm-hmm. usually when I'm done on the piano, I'll jump on the drums and play drums for a couple songs. And then okay. when that's—then I'm on my break. All and right. So, so it's so handy to be Really, it's more like a 20-minute break than a 30, because you usually I play a couple songs. Okay. And then I come back up on the 30-minute and then I'm back on again.
2: Gotcha. And that's
1: usually, that's generally, every piano bar, you'll find it that way, except for some of the real old school ones that don't have any backline instruments, which there's a lot mm-hmm. of them out there that are just strictly pianos. Right. You know, and, and the old, like a couple of the guys that work here that have been doing it for 20 plus years, they know those days where their percussion comes from beating the lid or, you know, or slamming <laughs> on, the, on, the, um, on wow. the piano bench and things like that. Yeah. And, Uh, or tambourines or any things percussive that they can kind of use to add to the show. Interesting. The doing piano stuff used to be a lot more kind of vaudevillian and and, and just a lot more comedic elements and Mm -hmm. things like that and a lot of uh, improv. Now it's just more like, okay, we're going to play a song and then kind of heckle and talk a little bit between songs and try to get... And then there's a lot of sing-along stuff as well. So... You'll see tonight, if you stick around long enough, uh, you know, Jed might start a song, and then you'll see Johnny up there clapping his hands, trying to get the audience to clap. Granted, there's only probably six people out there, so <laughs> not going to make a lot of difference tonight. But when it's busy, right? you kind of... That's how you start the energy in the room and kind of get to. that happening.
0: Yeah, just like a typical band gig, only it's more on Yeah. just you guys alone.
1: <laughs> it is, and it's a lot more interactive than a typical band gig, generally okay. speaking. Whereas a band... You know, you're just gonna play the song all the way through, probably. Where in this, you have the luxury of, if I'm, it's a Saturday night, and it's like 11 o'clock, and I've got 50 requests up on my piano. I'm like, crap, I gotta get through these. I'll medley the shit out of will I'll do a ten minutes and I'll just do a verse and a chorus. Aww. Next song, a verse and a chorus, and I'll just find cool. like yeah. certain songs that have a similar tempo and just tell the drummer like, just keep, give me Billie Jean at this tempo the whole time. Don't waver. Yeah. Just give me a straight. You don't yeah. try to do fills or do anything fancy. I'm just gonna play all these songs and knock them out. And that way, everybody's had their request acknowledged, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people don't leave all mad because you know they brought something up and didn't get played. Yeah, and you know. <laughs> And you can't do that with a band. Right. I mean, unless you have a talk back mic and let everybody know, like, yeah. hey, we're going to this song, get ready, I'm my cue or whatever. Exactly. Other, so, and this, you can do, you have the freedom to do that.
0: And I hate to say this, I really do, but I wonder if people have patience like they used to. Like They it, don't. Yeah, so the you, attention hear, span
1: is you give them a verse and a chorus,
0: and they're happy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I heard my song.
1: Right. And honestly, and you think about it like a DJ. Because most DJs don't play songs all the way through. Mm-hmm. So most DJs get to that solo or that whatever, and they're moving on to the next thing because they're trying to keep the dance floor uh, right. moving. Right. Right. So that is a good lesson to learn, too, in this gig.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay, so we know we're probably running out of time, but um, I've never, I haven't asked you anything about like how you got started. Like, Did you take like, piano lessons?
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I was a kid... My mom says I've been playing since I was three. She kind of heard me, like, I got this little toy organ, and I was kind of earing my way out through, like, Mary had a little lamb or whatever it was. And there was a lady that lived up the street. I took, you know, basic lessons from her for a while. And then as I got better, um, I took lessons. When I moved to Kansas, well, no, not before we did that, I, I, I entered this piano contest or this talent contest in Greeley, Colorado. That's where I was living at the time. I won the contest. It was, I was playing, like, Mozart's Eleventh Sonata, you know, the Rondo uh, Turker, and then a couple other songs that I have no idea what they are now. Okay. I won that contest. I got $100. How old were you? This was, like, fifth grade-ish, something like that. Okay. I, I think. Somewhere okay. around that. I don't remember. Uh, and I took that money and bought my first electric guitar. And I taught myself how to play guitar.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: But with piano, I kept lessons up until I moved to Kansas City. I moved to Kansas City, and I took lessons at the Conservatory of Music there for a couple of years with, from a really smelly, strange guy. <laughs> he, was, he was weird, but he was a good teacher, but he, he was a really awkward guy and he was real touchy and it was just you know oh. but like uh, I got a good education out of it you know from a gotcha. l- little bit of time that I was still there and then then at some point I just kind of started playing in bands okay. and what was your first keyboard? Well, the first keyboard I used to have to rent in Sonic TS-12 from this store called Big Dudes Music City every time we had a gig and or rehearsal because I didn't own one I couldn't afford it um so I would rent that big, heavy elephant thing and carry it around.
0: Yeah? And... I'm trying to think what year that would have been. Probably, like, in the um, 80s, 90s? It would have
1: been, like, a uh, uh, 9, 90, 91. Okay. Like, around All that right. time. Um, and then around 92, I want to say around then, I got a Roland JV-1000.
0: Okay.
1: And that had a sequencer in it. So, and I was what
0: kind of sequencer? What's that? What kind of sequencer? Or was it on the Roland?
1: It's in the Roland, yeah. Okay, okay. You know, the disk drive and the whole that mm -hmm. whole deal. And I used to compose tons of stuff on that thing. And I, I I put all that a lot of it out. Actually, I put a lot of that on my. It's on my Bandcamp page. It's uh,
0: cool. Do you have to give me a like? Let me know. I'll I'll post that link. Yeah, and I
1: did. Like there was this guy that was making. Low-budget, terrible horror movies, and I really wanted to score films. From that's what I wanted to do for a living when I was younger. Like I was such a big John Williams and Danny Elfman and Alan Silvestri. I love like film score because I worked a movie theater, so and I was a projectionist at the movie theater. So I bring my keyboard into the 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 film booth, and I, I would this. compose. Like I would string up the movie hit play on the projector and while the movies were running I'd sequence my own scores and so I wrote That's cool. a series of scores for this guy's movies which never ended up being used Called, and I just put out as a collection called music for mass murderers and psychopaths because it was all horror movies you know and then uh, I was also a huge Yanni fan like I loved the stuff that I heard live at the Acropolis, and that, that changed a lot for me because I was like, okay, it was like film score, but it was almost like pop music film scoring, you know, gotcha. and it was very piano-based. Right. So I was writing stuff like that. It was all in like seven, eight, like Niani did, and all this stuff, and and I sequenced a bunch of it, and I did it all on my JV1000, and that then I so cool. go out of the audio outs into my uh, like recording software, and just hit play on the sequencer, and then trim it up in, like, a two-track editor, um, normalize it, master it, and just put it out as a song. You
0: know? Okay. It
1: was a yeah. way to do...
0: How many sequ- uh, tracks sequencer did that thing have?
1: Uh, Eight, maybe? Okay. Maybe more?
0: I, I had an M1, okay. and it had an eight-track sequencer. Yeah, I think it was eight. eight.
1: It had to have been eight.
0: Yeah, and, and it was... Uh... And you
1: get too many instruments going, and it just <laughs> it sounds like mud.
0: I'm trying to remember what the 32-voice <laughs> th-
1: Yeah, it's 32.
0: Polyphony. um, Yeah. Seems like that was right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I did some programming too. Yeah, and I'd
1: I'd, sit there and I actually used that to write some intros for some bands, like some show intros for bands, you know, that we're really into. There's a band called Ludo out of St. Louis, and I wrote an overture for their big, like, rock opera that they did, and it was really, really cool. Um, And
0: what made you change your mind and not do that? Or do you still... I just
1: didn't live in the right place. Gotcha. Like, you know, music, film scoring wasn't going to happen in Kansas City.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, And... Were you ever into the blues scene
1: there? Not really. Blues makes me want to go to bed. <laughs> I, unless, you know, there's certain artists that I really like. But mo- mm-hmm. generally, for the most part, blues music is, is kind of a snore for me. Um, but, <coughs> but like my friend Samantha Fish, I, she... She played on my record, and she's, you know, one of the biggest blues artists out of Kansas City right now. Um, She's doing really well. And uh, I was more in that, you know, at that point in my life, I was all about rock and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of rock. There was a really good rock scene in Kansas City for a long, long time. Um, From the late 80s all the way up through the mid-90s, you know, even the alternative music scene was pretty good. And everybody was pretty supportive of one another to a certain extent. And and I remember being a kid playing in some of the clubs I'd always wanted to play in, but I was too young to attend shows there, But I got to play there, but they wouldn't let me in until five minutes before I would go on and stand out there freezing. Mm -hmm. And then you go in, you load your gear as fast as you can with your guitar out of tune, and you play your, you, you know, whatever and then as soon as you're done, they kick you right out so you don't get to watch the headliners or anything like that, you know? know. (laughs) So I remember watching or listening to Cinderella sitting outside the bar just like, I want to be in there really bad. (laughs) But they wouldn't let me in, you know? But yeah, JV1000 was my first keyboard and I used that thing to death. Like, I used it a lot and I used it on tons and tons of gigs. And then... I started working at Mars Music. So discount on gear, right?
2: hmm
1: And I was a big Dream Theater guy. Dream Theater really was the first band that showed me like, hey, you can you can do leads on the keyboard.
2: Yeah. Too.
1: You know, it's not just the guitar player. Like you can be a keyboard player and play leads. I was like, this is really cool. And I found this lead patch on the court Trinity that was just like, you know, it was single note. Uh, polyphony so you could do like you know hold one down and hit another note and it just kind of you trill notes and do all this kind of stuff right. and it didn't sound like sloppy mess you right. know so I bought that keyboard just because of that one sound yeah and I love it and then I ended up using it
0: I love cork stuff
1: I, I do too but back then their pianos were horrid their and their horns were absolutely atrocious <laughs> right they were just so bad and they sound like Casio stuff <laughs> right. you know it was not good so i'd have the the Roland for horns strings and yeah. pianos and then i'd use my Korg right. because the Roland stuff their roads were terrible and their right. all that stuff was awful right. but Korg had really good whirly and road sounds great organ sounds yeah. the Roland the organs in the JV were awful so um, so they both served their purpose. So I always have the dual keyboard stand happening. Sure. And then later on in life, like, you know, I started collecting other things. Like I'd have a couple vintage since like a, um, Juno 106 and some of those things. So I'd be up there looking like David Bryan and Bon Jovi with like, <laughs> t- you know, tiers of keyboards. <laughs> right. Until I got tired of carrying that crap around everywhere.
2: Yeah. And went back down to, to like just
1: two. But, you know, I'm another keyboard player in the, in the funk band I was in, he was smart. He just brought a one of those Roland X, you know, like the guitar mm-hmm. midi ones, and just had a an old midi, um, what do you call it? module. Yeah. And that's how he did the whole gig. And he was, <laughs> it's like, man, you asshole. I'm bringing all this stuff, and he's just, like, bringing one thing.
0: <laughs> right. So. Right. Well, I, we probably should wrap this up. you got to go play in a minute. Let's do 15 in 15 minutes. You got, okay. Well, um, what... What do you What do you still want to do, like with your career and like I don't know. What do you want to do next year? Um, is there something like that's still um, in your on your bucket list to do?
1: I still wouldn't. Well, I don't know. Like, it's or are weird. you getting to do it now? I'm doing a lot of it mm-hmm. now. You know, even I mean. I'd say, like, I want to play in an arena. Well, we played at two arenas, you know. Like, we played in the last couple of years or whatever. Like, uh, I've never done, like, a stadium gig, but, you know. But, but I've we played to 150,000 people uh, and in Belgium, like, two years ago. And you, it's, you look out there, and it looks like the ocean, but it's all humans. It's just people. And that was insane. Like, there's... Um, like I said earlier I've been playing with all my heroes and yeah. becoming friends with them even and stuff like that I mean it's hard to say because I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm realistic that I'm 45 no I, I, I write music for myself and I do it because it's fun I'm not gonna be a rock star but I'll, I'll play for some I'm good I'm good with that you know yeah the whole rock star me... Being a singer-songwriter, trying to do all that Like I, I, I won't say when I gave up on it But I just succumbed to the uh, Realization and the, re- the reality That it's like music's changed The kind of music that I like to write And that I like to put out there That's not what You know, it's not Billie Eilish Or it's not Post Malone Or whatever's out, you know, the kids Why? are buying And that's popular And that's fine So I'll write and record because I like to do it um, so I'd like to get more creative in that regard. I'd like to widen the network of working with other people in this town, writing and being creative with them, uh, doing more studio work and stuff like that, and getting into that network. So my, my goal always is like, it's almost like i want to take over my world wherever I happen to be. And so what I did is I came down here and I, I did kind of take over the, like, I achieved a lot of goals with, the, like, creating the Rare Hair Jam and stuff like that. And then working on Broadway, I wanted to start doing that. Well, now I'm working down there, I'm down here six nights a week. Like, I, I can, I could be down here wow. seven if I want. I could, I'm turning down shows and gigs because I've got too many coming in and people, and yeah. it's great, and I've got... A regular Sunday, I've got a regular Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'm here Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, right. and I take Mondays off just to be home. Right. And, uh, but then again, there's things like drummer jam or loud jams, those things happen on Mondays. So then I'm working seven nights that week in some way or, yeah.
0: or another. Yeah. I have to say, like, I would say. I, if I go to a party, or I go to a gig, or I go to a jam, or you know, some at some point in the night, your name comes up almost always. As to, well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, it, yeah, you're an amazing networker. Truly, I think you are. Thanks. I mean, and you're probably not really like like you said earlier. You know, you're not like in. You don't have that in mind. I'm going to go network tonight. You're, no. you're more like I'm going to go find out what's going on. Yeah, and like and I'm, I, I'm
1: also just a fan. Like I, right, when I, I go out and watch these people because I love what they do. Yeah, and I appreciate what they do. I see I, you
0: post stuff like um Rory.
1: Oh my god, <laughs> that dude. Yeah. God, and I and I, he played on a record I produced last year, and I was so grateful to have him say yes, because I was just like, well, I'm going to ask. He may say no, but whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, sure.
0: What's his regular gig? Is it, um... I don't Roberts?
1: know what he's doing right now. Oh, he's not playing around. He's doing so many things mm-hmm. okay. all the time, yeah. and they're all, you know, one day you'll see him playing with Ricky Skaggs, and then he's playing with Kelsey, what's her name, or not, uh, Casey Musgraves, and then he's down on Broadway doing something, or then he's, he's got a, a, a Sunday in, afternoon thing that he's been doing forever over there kind of by the Opry I can't remember what the place is called and um, yeah he's he's always doing something but that dude is just one of the most mind-bogglingly incredible musicians I've ever seen in my life and yeah people like that I'm gonna wave their flag as high as I can because I want people to see that I want Mm -hmm. people to realize like dude this is here you got to see this anytime they used to have a regular gig at Alan Jackson's on Tuesdays and anytime my friends would come in we'd go see the rock and roll residency and then we'd bust ass over there to AJ's before they were done I said you have to see this guy like with your own eyes not on video you got to watch this guy do it in front of your face and then and I'll bring you a thing for your job to put back in your, you know, because it's just like you never walk out of there without going, oh, my God, that is so ridiculous. You know? And
2: yes. I
1: love that. Um, I love bringing people together. And, you know, rare hair, nothing is more satisfying, I don't know, I mean, musically anyway, than watching dudes from Taylor Swift's band and then dudes from, like, some old 80s metal band and then guys who play on Broadway all playing some cheesy, you know, butt rock song from 1989. <laughs> like, right. it's great. And they're just having the time of their lives. And I'm, and just knowing that you were kind of responsible for bringing those people together. And I'm <laughs> sure Tom probably has a lot of similar sentiments in that regard with his loud jams and, you know, why, why it's that love of the game thing because we're not out here making money off of it. Right. We're doing it because it it just feeds our soul in other ways.
0: Same for me with the podcast. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm more of a one-on-one kind of person, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but it's um yeah, it really feeds me and it's it's more than it's it's a labor of love, for sure. Um, and, you know, another thing that you're really good at is getting gigs for people, like lining people up with the right gigs, you know? Yeah, for I, sure. I think you... Well,
1: that comes to knowing their strengths and weaknesses and where they may be in their lives, mm-hmm. and also just going, well, what... Like, every time I get calls, well, send me the set list of songs or send me yeah. the material, mm-hmm. I'll listen to it and go, okay, I, in fact, today, it was a perfect example of this guy... In Texas, he's doing this kind of hard rock metal song. He wants this Dio type of voice. I was like, well, I'll try out, you know, whatever. I sent him the stuff. My voice wasn't gritty enough. I was like, well, here's 12 guys that really, really accentuate in that department. Right. Pick one of them. Because one of these guys is going to knock that out of the park for you and and do a great job.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So I'm curious to see who he decides to pick.
0: <laughs> right. I'd have to say you've passed along at least three gigs to me. Yeah. Um, maybe more, maybe more. So I mean, they're all of us.
1: Yeah, you're. mean, you're in my top five calls. You know, because um, your reliability is. You're always. You know, you always do your homework. You show up. You have gear that's not falling apart. You're easy <laughs> to get along with. There's all those little kind of things that you think about before you pass somebody on like right. okay well that guy's kind of a dick but he's a really really good drummer but he's kind of paying the ass so I might <laughs> go with the guy that's not as good as this guy because he's going to get along with that person better yeah. or whatever it, you, the, all those little factors that you got to keep in mind to try to make something work yeah and I did that in Kansas City too and they're everywhere I go I, <laughs> it's so funny it's that like you know i was kind of known as the band whisperer or whatever like <laughs> the guy serious. that brings people together to right? form their own bands or whatever did interesting um I, I see chemistry i see the good in something and mm-hmm. in people and i just try to find where they can fit in
0: yeah
1: and that makes sense for them and hopefully it's something that sticks and they can do it in the long term or whatever
0: Chemistry is such a big deal in bands. Yeah. You know, they're families. Yeah. I mean, if you play together long enough,
1: for sure. you're,
0: you're a family, for better or
1: worse. Yeah, and, right. <laughs>
0: but,
1: and I've uh, been lucky that every band that I've had, I've been in, like, most of the bands that I've had longevity with have been very long, eight years, six years, you know, more than just, like, a few months or whatever. We, mm-hmm. um, I've been in Vixen now for three Um, and I think it's just because I don't really subscribe to the ego stuff. I don't, I, I serve the music. I serve the people that I'm working for. Now, if it's my band, yeah, I'm going to, I'll be the boss and I'll delegate and I'll do the things that are necessary to make, to see my own vision. If I'm playing for somebody else, that's not my job. My job. For playing for Vixen is, you know, if they want me to play this one song with two fingers, and that's what I'm going to do. You know, whatever it is that <laughs> right. they ask right. me to do, that's my job.
2: Yeah. And
1: a lot of people, I think, misconstrue that, uh, and that's what pitfalls them out of getting or keeping the work that they could have. Is that you're not? It's not about you. Right. It's about the artist that you're playing for. Right. And uh, or the band that you're playing for, whatever it is. Now, if you started that band with your buddies and you were part of that whole core thing, then, yeah, you should have a say in everything right. and whatever. Or you figure that out as you build your band and be- come up in the world however you come up. Right. But if you're coming into something that's already established and... And that's a whole different ballgame, you know. Yes. And that works in every facet of whether you're playing on Broadway or whether you're playing, doing pianos, or anything musical or really any job. I mean, honestly. Right. Like, and I, every job I've ever had, I've, I've had for a long time, too, because I realize the value of serving other people. Oh, so. I love
0: that. Music is a service profession.
1: <laughs> yeah, it totally is.
0: I mean and if you you know if you don't think it is you're not gonna you may as well go be in computers or something I don't but know but it's
1: also an ego business you know everybody it's a very much a hey look at me look what I can do kind of business so you have to find that fine line between like nice? okay when do I just play whole notes and then when can I just play 30 Rip. second notes forever you know like right and you just gotta find the, your place and so that's when I'm putting people together for Rare Hair or if I'm putting things together I go okay this song needs a guy who can shred and play all like Shy Boy by David Lee Roth or Mm -hmm. "Palace," the one we did at Rare Hair that had Billy Sheehan on it yeah there's only a few guitar players in town that I would trust to do that gig or that song right and I got Dakota Demon to do it and I knew he would nail it and he did and he was incredible um Whereas I've had a couple instances where I didn't know somebody very yes. well, it was a recommendation or a whatever, and I put them on a, on a song, not really knowing where they were. Right. And I've had the other guy, who's in the band, calling me, going, "Why'd you put that guy on this? You know, on the song?" I was like, uh, "Sorry, I didn't really know." He's like, "Well, he's, he obviously didn't learn it." And I was like, "Well, I'm sorry. I'll just..." And then, you know, there's a couple guys I've actually right um, here in this very spot had a t- talk with, going, "Okay, this is why I can't ask you back." until you learn the art of learning the song. You're playing to the song. It's not about showing everybody what you can do right now. It's all You've got to learn the song exactly like it is on the record um, because that's what's expected of you. Right. And if you have an opportunity to sh- shine and shred and whatever, then by all means, great. But right, <laughs> right. now isn't the time. Right. So figure that out. Hit me up about a year from now, and maybe you can come <laughs> back. You know, because I only do that thing three times a year, mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, you know, I want them to learn. Like, hey, you need yeah. to chill out and figure out where your place is in this whole thing, right? And then come back once you have figured it out, and you'll be great. Because I, I love positive reinforcement and encouraging people to do better, mm-hmm. but I also don't mind telling them when they're, you know, putting their dick in the dirt and going, look, right. you you need to come back down to earth a little bit
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then and learn kind of how this works um, because that's just going to better you in the long run wherever you go so
0: right
1: anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess I should get ready to go
0: okay well thank you so much Tyson yeah
1: um, thanks for having me yeah
0: I appreciate it so much um, best of luck to you next year thanks here's to 2020
1: yeah 2020 is gonna be a crazy year like music (laughs) Mm -hmm. so many bands reforming and going on the road and all this stuff's happening i'm I'm very i'm gonna be broke i'll tell you that (laughs) going to concerts and stuff but it's kind of an exciting time it is right now in our our world so we'll see what happens
0: all right well um i'm gonna let you go go play your gig okay (laughs) so thanks a lot and take care thank you all right